0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Values and Vino podcast. There's so much controversy around big tech these days, so I felt it was important to bring on my friend Paul Greenberg. Not only because he gives the best hugs, but because at 71 years young, he's an industry veteran, or should I say the godfather of CRM. As an advisor and analyst for the biggest tech companies in the world, he brings a ton of knowledge and then some. We dive into problems with tech startups today, having to walk away from clients, and what Paul plans to do before he retires next year. It was just great to catch up with my friend, and although we couldn't hug, just talking to Paul feels like a big, warm hug anyway. Enjoy this episode, and don't forget to leave us a review or subscribe. (music) This is the Values in Vino podcast where we believe that shared values bring people together and values misalignment can keep people apart from one another, including themselves. So we'll be here discussing what values are. How people can discover their values and how we all can live within those values personally and professionally. Did I mention there may be some wine drinking? If you love values or wine as much as we do, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of the Values and Vino podcast. My friend Paul. Welcome to the Values in Vino podcast.
1: I'm, a, You know, I'll just look, the very fact that I can just see you and talk to you makes me happy. So <laughs> I'm so glad to be here.
0: I love that you're here. This is probably long overdue. I think we've been wanting to do something like this almost since we met, I'm guessing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, why don't we let the audience know what wine we're drinking?
2: today
0: okay. okay so this is a it's flowers it's from Sonoma it's a it's a 2018 Pinot Noir I've never tried it before if I'm being honest which is was kind of the goal um I'm actually not a huge fan of Pinot Noir so let's see how this one goes for me
1: okay. all right now I will say in advance I have had you this. have I won't say what I think of it I don't want to color your uh expectations all right, let's- Leave the color to the wine.
0: I just love the sound of wine pouring. Okay. Cheers. To friendship. Bing. Okay. All right. Hmm. This is better than, I would say, the other Pinot Noirs I've had.
1: Well, I mean, this for me I'm, again. I've actually had this many times. I really like this particular Pinot Noir. And look, I, I'm not one of these believers in, oh well, you know, it's got the taste of uh, black cherries and tar and, <laughs> and grapes, leather, <laughs> right? And grapes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always wonder actually when people do that tasting stuff when they say, you know, it's got a there's a hint of like leather. When since when do you chew on leather, right? <laughs> or you eat black tar? How the hell do you know how that tastes?
0: Sommeliers, I mean, they. Um, I don't know too much about the certifications. I know there are different levels of sommelier certifications, and I know that they have to taste a ton of wine um, before they take a test. So, there. I, I, I. I'm assuming the only way they could distinguish one from the others come up with these. Taste profiles.
1: Yeah, well, they actually, I have, I've actually seen they have these color wheels, which are based on the colors of the different wines, and then they have these. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of like charts, but they're kind of odd. But they're taste charts, and they actually do say all those different things, right? Like tastes like tar, and I mean, I'll, again, I to me, in order to say that, you have to have already done that. True. And I do not want to trust the person who's eaten tar. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> well, I think the thing for me with Pinot Noirs is they're not as full-bodied as other ki- types of wine. And I typically like a full-bodied yep. wine. Like, there's a little more acidity in Pinot Noirs, at least the ones that I've experienced. Um,
1: have, you had, have you had the French ones, the Burgundies? I have with not. Pinot Noirs, Different style altogether and more toward what you like.
0: Good to know. I'm going to look Bernie, into that. French. Um, so, Paul, I am. I'm sure mm-hmm. people want to know how we know each other because I'm in Southern California. You're in Virginia, but mostly on the East Coast, I would say. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. pigeonhole you in just Virginia because we actually met in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, that was it. Was quite an event, actually. It was the. Uh, I think what is the what do you it call it? AXS? Uh, but I'm not even. You know what I. I'll put it this: way. I'm going to leave it with the acronym, because I I was chairing it, but I really didn't like the name hmm. of the conference, so I I'll leave it with the acronym, so I don't have to repeat the name. That said, it's really good conference, and um, and it was basically we were looking at you know customer experience as it's not just as it is, but as it's going to be. That was part of the idea I was looking at what's the future, and uh, and it just brought a disparate group of people from all over the place, and I of course. New in common with you, uh David West and Ricky Volante, who are doing the uh p c professional collegiate league, and there you were, and you know what's funny you have this very interesting presence, you know it's like you're very active you know it's like you you even when you're sitting, you kind of got this active aura, I guess is the best way to put it, so you're there's like this noticeable kind of energy around you, and it was, like I've had it was too much sugar I, or I would never say that, (laughs) right? So no, but what was funny? I wasn't. I saw Ricky and David, and I had said hello to them earlier, and I hadn't seen you yet. And you were sitting at or standing at a like a table thing at the hotel. And I was just walking by, but I didn't notice them. I noticed you, and, and because you were like animated, I didn't know what you were talking about. I couldn't hear, but you were going like your hands were moving and it's not like I've always seen your hands move, but this time it was like, wow, that's a lot of action over there. What's going on? <laughs> so I walked over and that was step. That was time one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I instantly just thought you were great. I just loved you. Right. Right. away. I
0: mean, it was, it was, it was. I didn't think I was always great. So I'm glad you what? think that I'm glad you feel that way. I thought you were amazing. I, I met, um, it, it's, it's incredible what connection does and, Maybe you saying that I'm active is just me absorbing everything that is happening in front of me. Um, I could tell you I have not been to, that was the last conference that I've been to. Um, that was February of last year.
1: Yeah, that was the second to last conference I was that. I'm actually going to, well, I'm, I'm traveling twice this month. First time to Seattle to officiate my niece's wedding. Yay! And then a week later, to raise Ray, actual regular event, which is the CCE. It stands for Connected uh, Constellation Connected Enterprise. Is that
0: Half Moon Bay
1: company? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I will be there. I'm I'm going to be there this year. I've I you know I'm on his board, so I, he asked me if I wanted you know. if he's, I said, Do you want me to speak? He said, Of course. And he's putting together a panel for me I I don't even know who's on it, but I'll whatever it is or what it's about, but well, I'll find out when I get there.
0: That sounds exciting. I mean, I know you've been, I mean, I I could tell you one of the first conversations we had was you telling me about how much you fly around and and how much travel you do. And, and so interestingly, which I love, this is what I love about meeting new people is when I don't know what you actually do for a living. I just know what kind of person you are or these personal details about you because that's how we ended up connecting. It wasn't about yep. what we did for a living. I don't think anybody at that conference knew what I did until way no. later, you know, when we were we were reconnecting again. And, you know, I, I met there were people from Salesforce and SAP and these huge tech companies, Oracle and um you know, Zoe from Clorox. And it it was just amazing that till this day we're still connected. I mean, I was in love with um, Liz and Nicole who hosted the event and they were and they were um, essentially the, oh my gosh, I can't, that that word is not a proctor, but like um, they're facilitating all of the conversations, Right, not a mediator. What is it? Moderator. 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 Duh. See, this is what happens when I have wine at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, And that's
1: right. I forgot what time it is.
0: Until. Yeah. Until this day, it's just, you know, we've stayed connected. And 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 you had such an energy about you. You were giving hugs to everybody. And I remember when all the pandemic happened, you were the first person I thought of of doing a wellness check on because Hugging to you is such an important part of your personality and a part of your connectivity. I was checking in to make sure you were okay over there not being able to hug well, anybody. You
1: know, <laughs> I actually I actually have this t shirt that says hug dealer <laughs> and somebody had given it to me and so I was I actually have talked about it on various shows how because of the pandemic that not that went from being this like adorable t shirt to calling me a terrorist. <laughs>
0: right you went from being the most loved to the most
1: right. a danger a exactly oh my God. It, That's right.
0: it was such a fun event you know we it was at the porsche head one of the porsche uh headquarters we're test driving porsches and it was just great energy i remember the weather being very nice um and mm-hmm. then we had dinner where the awards were it was like this rooftop yeah. and and brent was djing and i just remember yeah. thinking like where like who knew all these nerds could have so much fun?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it is. It's like we stay. We are actually don't. It's sort of weird. Look, I, look. I I'm a hundred percent right brain person. I don't even have a left brain. I don't think. And for years, I'm so ignorant of the fact. My left brain. When somebody say left brain, I'd point here, which is of course the right brain, <laughs> not the left brain. <laughs> I didn't. It's so because even you're know, looking in the mirror right? too so, much.
2: <laughs> Well, no,
1: I literally didn't know. <laughs> I had no clue that they they were actually opposed, right? Um, so I, I always operate like you, really, to some degree. You have a lot more of a left brain than I do because you actually can do the, you do the playbooks and the stuff you do, which I think are amazing. Um, and I operate from the standpoint of what kind of human being am I dealing with here, period, right? I am not, look, I look at it this way. I'm about... I'm a year from retirement, meaning I'm not going to be doing what I normally do, which is engage with companies, advise them. And the companies that were there, most of them were my, well, not most of them, many of them were my clients, right? And so, um, but I'm not going to do that anymore. That's over after next year. I'm going to travel a lot next year to the point so I can say goodbye in person and actually hug people as opposed to virtually hug them, right? Um, and then after that, I've, I've got a. Brent and I actually have a really interesting plan for one thing, and then I'm going to be doing a lot of nonprofit and charitable work free. I, look, I have skills, I'm going to use those skills for basically make them free, right to to nonprofits and charities, and up to and including take on the expenses you know, for myself, because ultimately I just want to do some good. And and with um, but we have plans for players, which is a whole other discussion someday. But the reality is just you know you want to be friends with those you are friends with regardless of what they do or where they end up at any given point in their life. You if there if there's someone you care about, you have their back. Period. Always. Regardless. And that's the way it
0: works. 100%. And and let's go back on your skills. So you're I I, fi- I finally figured out what you actually did. So you're known as the godfather of CRM. Can you just you know, quickly explain to our listeners how you earned such a coveted title in in tech, and and maybe yeah, even right. just for some listeners, what is CRM? You know, and CRM for probably dummies. Want to start
1: with that one. <laughs> I want to start with that one. Probably. Yeah. Look, CRM stands for customer relationship management, and what it what it we wanted it to be and what it is are slightly different. We wanted it to be this big, expansive kind of strategic effort that companies make to engage with their customers and provide them with these opportunities and and value so that the customer has a great experience and so on. But that actually became CX and customer (laughs) engagement. And CRM became the systems and the technologies that were utilized to support sales, marketing, customer service. And uh, they were highly operational. Now, again, I came in when it was the bigger thing and i stayed with the bigger thing i just expanded the work i did to different areas based on the fact my real thing is make people how do you how do you have people regardless of endeavor how do you make them how do you make them happy if you're a business though given the constraints you're operating with how do you make them happy without destroying your business at the same time and actually make that support your and enhance your business crm is sales, marketing, customer service, technologies, and operational operational technologies now CX and engagement larger? The Godfather thing, I didn't earn it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd love to say, oh well, I earned it because you know I've been such a dominant figure, and you know I will say I've been pretty well known. I'm certainly well known in the industry, but I uh, I don't exactly know how I got that nickname. But the only thing I keep thinking is, I'm. Um, probably the oldest or second oldest person I know in the CRM industry, and they really meant grandfather and just sort of <laughs> slipped up, <laughs> right, so, but it stuck, and it really did stick, and part of it's because I wrote a book called CRM Speed Light that ended up being in nine languages and four editions and sold really well and, and became the, the basic, the, what's called the Bible of the industry. Although, again, I think that's mostly because it weighs as much as the actual Bible does, all the books combined. <laughs> it's about three pounds. In fact, Brent Leary and I once did a show where we showed alternate uses of the book. And some of it was uh, was doing um, curls. Oh, like a weight. And you could do, uh, you, you, yeah, right, exactly. You could do step aerobics off the book. <laughs> you could use them as bricks in place of actual – with mortar right or you could do the eye job thing and kill someone with by throwing it at them. right so because again it's a three pound book right so um but look I mean all that aside I've spent two decades plus in the CRM industry and the one thing I've always maintained has or attempted to maintain is my integrity right and um and The one thing I've always tried to do is make sure that if I am going to criticize somebody, because I'm also an industry analyst, if I'm going to criticize someone, I'm going to have an answer to the criticism. Meaning, if I'm saying Salesforce or Oracle or SAP, you're doing this wrong. Um, I need to have something that says, here's the suggested way you can do it right. Not just bitch at them, right? You're dealing with industry analysts, which again might be a subject for another Show uh, there, we're a testy lot of people. Let's just say that, um, and it can be difficult. But, and some are very alpha in the way they approach things. That's not the way to do it. Your job, as a as a person, is to try to make things better, not just to criticize them, right? And so I've operated from an analyst standpoint, an advisory standpoint, even when I speak at conferences. That's what I do, right? And I, you know, I've made a way better living at it than I ever thought I could
0: yeah I mean don't bring problems bring solutions
1: yeah which is what you do see that's the thing I actually found out pretty quickly what you did I went in and looked Mm. and I was blown away actually by you know what it is look there are a lot of people who are pretenders in all our fields your field is more on the let's call it the the uh, employee side and mine's on the customer side but they're very much connected right and and a lot, of, and we both have tons of pretenders, you know. And most of the pretenders will throw out aphorisms, and you know, or they'll throw out some comment that they have no basis for making whatsoever, other than that they wanted to make it, and they don't have any way to actually help anybody. But the thing that got me about you right away was, aside from your willingness to sort of say what you thought, um, you had these detailed playbooks on how to do things, and and they weren't. Um, lists they were organized solutions organized approaches organized techniques right but they were organized meaning you start here you end here not do this do this do this do this do this do this, do this without any necessarily apparent sequence you know um you were they were really good and they were multi-area so to me that's how you succeed in in the world and in business which is give people uh, something to think about, and then uh, potentially to do, right? So that they, and then, then when it works, of course, they can do some more. And that, and ultimately, you've helped them, and that's the best thing in the world.
0: Oh, that's sweet. I'm blushing. It might, and more it's not you. from the wine either. I mean, I think the inspiration behind that is my own frustration. Um, you know, going to conferences and there's panel discussions, and there are these big names and from from very well-known brands there and they're talking about culture and how important it is to have a great culture and and why you should have a great culture and why culture is important and I, I have my paper and my pen out and not one at any point did anybody talk about how you get there right it's like make employees happy well no shit dude how do yeah. you do that from an like operational manu- <laughs> manual standpoint? Like step one, how do you actually do that? And so that really motivated me in um, creating something like that. With just just being more operational instead of you know uh, talking about this elusive or esoteric culture. I really wanted people to figure out how to do it because I just knew at that point there were so many companies all across industries all across sizes that were just didn't really understand what to do or how to do it from a data standpoint i think it was you know the the feeling at that time this was probably two or three years ago um was like let's just throw things against the wall and see if it works um and it just that just wasn't a cost or time efficient way to do those things and so um, I, I love that you bring up integrity because I think you and I are very similar in that aspect in, yep. in maintaining the mm-hmm. integrity of how we do things and the industry as a whole. And so, you know, I, I know just given the event that I was at with you, there are a ton of companies and a lot of them either were, or, or um, at some point had become your clients and probably friends. Cause I feel like everybody becomes your friend at some point, um, how did you filter through which companies you were going to work with and and which you didn't in terms of values or integrity? And had that changed over the years as you got more experienced?
1: Oh yeah, when you when I was first starting out, I didn't have any sense of. I mean, I had a sense of integrity. I was in politics for twenty plus years, so I I knew what good and bad was. Let's just say that. And and at to the extremes, and and you know honestly didn't do everything good myself. Let's just say that. Right. Um, you know, so uh, I learned early on, what is it that I have to govern? What standards do I have to govern myself? And the other thing that was tricky in the beginning and later even was I, you know, as I evolved to becoming an industry analyst, being an advisor to a company is one thing. Being an analyst is another thing. And and it sounds like it could be the same, but it's really not. And and I had to be able to s- create walls between. So what would happen would be this: is there'd be a few things like one. St- there's two things I tell every company that I'm about to engage with, regardless, because I also write for ZDNet and and you know other venues. Hey, uh, me too. I might. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the thing, though. But you know, but part of what I, I, I write is. Possibly going to be critical of my own clients, I might directly criticize them publicly. And when I go in, there's two things I tell them before I before I will sign a contract or engage. First one is this: just because you're, I'm advising you, doesn't mean you get a pass on on when I write publicly. I said, when I am an advisor, my commitment is to you. When I am an analyst, my commitment is to the public, and that wins, right? So. If I need to criticize you publicly, and I'm not going to criticize you publicly if I don't need to, uh, but if I need to criticize you publicly, I'm going to regardless. And if you want to terminate the contract because of that, feel free. Not a problem. Um, Secondly, the other thing I tell them is this. I will not, under any circumstance, do competitive analysis for you. I will do market analysis. I will talk about other companies, but I am not going to expose their weaknesses. I said, I've got... One absolute reason for that, because think that's ethically wrong. I said, two and second, just do it on a pragmatic sense. They're my clients too, so do you want me to expose your competitive weaknesses to them? Of course you don't. Mm-hmm. So that's out. And if you want that kind of SWAT, you're not going to get it. So you don't. You want me? You're not getting that. So those are the two things that happen from the get-go. And then I give them two, sometimes three, depending on size, because it takes a longer time to filter through larger organizations, years if I'm advising them to see if I've had any impact on the change that they've made whatsoever. Because if I haven't, they're wasting my time and their money, and there's no point, and I'll, I'll lose them as clients. And I do, now, I, there, I will tell them that up front. And they usually have evidence they've done something that they can't prove, but not always. But other times, I will fire clients. And I've done that more than once, and I have no qualms about that either. I am just not driven. But look, I make more than enough money. I'm a year from that other thing. You know, I'm 71, heading to 72. I've been around. I was in politics. I was, you know, beaten to pulp while I was in politics at one point. I was knife. I had a knife against my throat another time, or shot at another time. So need to say, an angry client really isn't bothering me that much, right? So, and I'm a New Yorker, besides, so you know. How to
0: <laughs> above say. all,
1: we are what we are, <laughs> right? Above all, you know that we are what we are, right? So, uh, so that's kind of the standard is always: I am here to help you. I am. I'm not here to help you beat someone else. I'm here to make you better, and I am going to do everything in my power to do it. And, I, and because I have friends at this company, because I ultimately do, um, I will make sure that my friends are always in my mind. And they are. Like, for example, sometimes I write a critical piece that can overlap something that my friends may be involved with. And if you actually examine those pieces in every single case, you will find a wrapper I build around my friend who's named in that piece, but I deliberately am separating them from that, what I'm criticizing. And it's clear that I'm not equating it all with them in a way, though, that not like, oh, wow, what's he hiding? It's, I'm not hiding anything. That My friend's not the reason that I'm doing that, right? So I'm making sure they're protected while I'm still going after the entity uh, as I need to. And I always do. That. I always will always. It's what matters to me. My friend's what, what matters to me. 100 percent and uh, you know you can you can well it's what you it's who you are too exactly who you that's
0: are. true yes um and so just so what types of challenges are these companies experiencing that would make them want to engage with you and then you they engage with you what is like step number one
1: well i mean the the challenges are unique are, are specific but General to every company, which is how do we engage our customers in ways that they feel, meaning the customers, valued, and that's and they, you know, the net result of that in a business sense is you retain them and they keep buying stuff, and the and every company has a set of challenges like that. That even when they're in the same industry, and a lot of my customers, I mean, my clients deliberately. Are the big tech companies, not and small ones too, but the tech companies in my universe. I, I moved away from the practitioner side a while back because I felt like I was getting back into politics again, yeah. and I didn't want to be. So uh, I went back to the tech companies where the engagements work in a different way, and and so each, but they have the same issues every company has, which is, you know, our customers now, especially now, are on the one hand are demanding. A high degree of personalized interaction and and that also means by the way a high degree of personalized product suggestion and uh, and support and so for example, that would mean like um, I want to see products that you recommend to me that are actually meaningful to me i don 't just want to see your catalog and hope I can pick right because I have all kinds of people who will tell me things out there on you know social webs and that that will provide me with what I need or. But the other thing that they're starting to engage me with, and this is a little newer, is and it's driven partly by COVID and driven partly by aging, really, um, which is there's a very big generational transfer of power going on right now. So, in effect, I mean, I hate to put it in these terms, but my generation is transferring power to your generation, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, we have gen- my generation who stayed in the workforce a little too long is leaving. Um, Gen X is still in the workforce in leadership positions, but they're a really small number. And millennials are no longer what you know we thought when we were all, when we were younger, which was you know entitled, half-formed brains. They're now full, fully functioning adults with good ideas who have families and are forty, right? And Gen Z is no longer dependent on their parents for um, uh, parents and allowances for buying power. There's $143 billion worth of Gen Z buying power from the workforce in North America alone, right? So, and, that's, and they're just moving into the workforce now. So you're talking about transfer to them, and their habits for buying and their habits for consuming are just very different than my generation and Gen X's habits. And that transfer is meaning all of a sudden, you know, in a sense, Applebee's commercials from TikTok, Burger King commercials from TikTok, you know, things like that. And watching TikTok have as much of an impact, if not more, than any, any mediums had in the last 20 years, really. And, uh, or watching the beginning of that. But you're talking about five years out, that's going to be the way it, it's going to be mature. Right now, it's in progress. So they call me in to deal with that because I am fully aware of what that all means. And I'm working on business models and other things that actually... Can work with that, and they are fractional business models, meaning um, you don 't have to implement an entire framework in order to, you can implement pieces depending on your vertical, depending on whatever circumstances that will work just as well and so they 're calling me in for the more sort of long term thinking and the short term is how do you overcome that and the other thing that that impacts great deal in terms of what they call me in for is. Product development on one level, which is okay. Now, I'm not the person who's going to say technically you should do this. I'm going to say, given, given the current state of things, given the roadmaps, or given the uh, things that are out there, on your roadmap, you have this thing 18 months out, it should be six months out. It's more like that. Uh, on the messaging and marketing side, they call me in, and I work with them on literally what we just talked about so that it impacts the people that they want to communicate with. And, and the other thing is I'm working on just changing, uh, to their point, their cultures and how they think, although I'm not an organizational change expert. I don't pretend to be either. Mm-hmm. I have friends who are, and they're fantastic at it. Uh, so um, actually, you're one. And then there's another one named Silvana Bullion out of Spain, who you might want to talk <clears> to. Sometimes. Yeah, you've talked so, about her before, um, actually. Yeah, I think she's amazing. So um, I, I work on all of those things. Now, to be honest, I've done this so long, I don't look for work anymore. I stopped looking for work years ago. They come to me. Right. So I already am pretty much booked for 2022. Got it. Right. So, uh, but that's the things that drive them to me. And plus, I've got a record that shows that my work works, I guess. I guess. You know, know. maybe it does. Maybe people just want you around. Like,
0: I'd pay just to have you around.
1: yeah but that's the good news is you you would never have to
0: <laughs> right um,
1: <laughs> right i i, I,
0: I want to distinguish like crm and crm industry right i just just so um, because it can be a very complicated um there's there's just so there, there are so many levels of tech and what that actually means and so i want to clarify every company has some form of crm whether you use excel whether you use salesforce you, you there's just there you have some form of it where you're you have a customer database or you should if you don't something's going on um you have a customer database and even a customer journey right um now how robust that is varies between companies so so that's in a nutshell, what CRM means. And then there are companies who are in the CRM industry, which are which is like Salesforce and and Pipedrive. Correct.
1: Right. right OK, yes. I just Salesforce, Pipedrive, Oracle, SAP. They're all in it and the smaller ones. You know, Creatio, companies like that, they're all, there's there's thousands of companies in the CRM industry. Hubs, HubSpot
0: too, I believe was another big one. HubSpot
1: on the marketing and sales side, not so much customer service.
0: Got it, okay, so I just wanted to clarify that in case people were confused about about CRM. Um,
1: Well, you buy CRM technology from these companies and CRM technology will focus on sales, marketing, and customer service one way or the other, and typically will involve, to your point, a database of customers, but it also involves things like how to manage your opportunities, how to generate leads, how to handle, how how do you qualify a lead, how do you hand the lead off, how do you generate the opportunity, how do you manage the opportunity, how do you close the deal? Then, but it involves things like there are ancillary stuff like compensation and other things that work based on you know sales compensation, things like that that work for it too. There's a lot to it, and there's a ton of analytics, and. But it's at at its core, it's the operational center for sales, marketing, and customer service of a company. However, they happen to do it.
0: Got it. And I mean, there are, um, every seven minute. I don't think this is a real statistic, but I like to think that every seven minutes, a new tech company starts. <laughs> so, what are <laughs> what are some mistakes rate. you're seeing tech startups make um, in the CRM space these days?
1: Okay, so in twenty. 20- what was it was 2011, 12, 13, and 14. I ran a competition called CRM Idol. And it was literally modeled after American Idol. And there were was, was judges, and you had, to, you had to perform in front of judges, so to speak. You had to dem, demo your products and so on. And it was for startups. It was for young companies and startups. Companies that were under $7 million in revenues had been around less than seven years. You could have been around a month, but you, ha- you had to have at least five actual customers. You couldn't be no customers. And the mistakes that they all made were exactly the mistakes that are still being made by almost every tech startup I've ever run across, especially given that 90%, and that's a stat I'm making up too, but uh, but it's a lot, of those tech startups are, are created and run by engineers and developers.
0: Okay, okay, right? so so, so, uh, so tech companies, uh, yeah. one of the biggest mistakes, they're ran by engineers and product
1: managers is- Well, that's not the mistake. The things that they, the, the biggest problem they have is they do nothing but develop their products. And they don't do all the other things you have to do to succeed. There's a million good products out there, and they're good. I mean, these are skilled people who develop good things, but they don't know how to sell. They don't know how to market. They don't know how to provide service. They don't know how to do anything. And they're, uh, let's say, penurious because they're starting with very little money, and they don't want to invest in anything but their app or their product. And that's a problem. It's not a strength. It's okay you want to do that before you become a company, but the minute you become a company, you're not technology with uh, an institution wrapped around it. You're a company, right? And so you have to go out and do all those things or else no one's going to ever hear of you. No one's going to ever care about you. No one's going to ever understand you. No one's going to ever interact with you. And if by coincidence you happen to get some customers, no one's going to be very happy when you won't deal with them when they have a problem because you're so tied up Developing your product, or you feel like okay, I'll talk to them, but they're taking away from me working on my product. It doesn't work that way. And then the the second level of problem they have is as they grow, the founder tends to have what has always been called founder syndrome, which is the unwillingness to give up any control of anything at the company, and they get into massive micromanagement. And in the meantime, they don't trust their employees, which is pretty much what comes across. And the, and the result is the um the company uh fails because the employees aren't trusted and aren't able to do their job because the founder even though the company's too big for that the founder continues to do this I want you to do this I want you to do this you got to give people room to breathe grow make mistakes but you know and I don't I don't over I don't overhype the thing of you know fail fast I think you should succeed fast if you can I mean I you know people are going to make mistakes it's life but you know, you don't sit there and say, that's a strategy. Your strategy is not to make a mistake. Your strategy is to, is to succeed, and then as you have problems along the way, you move ahead. To do that, you've got to trust other people, right? You do it yourself, and you will fail and never succeed, ever. And so that's the second level of mistake. You get past those two mistakes or those two problems, you, you have a decent chance to actually make it if your technology is as good as it seems to be.
0: I've, I mean, I have seen that firsthand over and over again, um, where very technologically sound person, very like into the the tech and what it can do and all of these things, but wants to do all of it by themselves, and just not not really great in managing people, not great in managing the brand, not great in managing. I mean, they're like non-responsive. And it's it's really unfortunate to see that for me because I see their their competitors are billion dollar valuations. And so how do you
1: when you when you talk to a person like that, what do you tell them?
0: I really try to refocus them on the mission. You know, I really try to dig deep with them and I ask them, what are you trying to accomplish here? Like, what is your goal here? If your goal is to. Keep this company the same way it is, um, you know, have this huge ch- customer churn and your people are leaving coming and going as they please. They're not even respectful, you know, they're engaged in the in, the the company then sure, like keep things the way they are. But I don't want to hear you gripe about how your product is better than so-and-so's products who just did $130 million, you know, series D fundraise, because it doesn't matter according to you because it, because you're not focused on anything else. So I really try to focus them on the mission and, and together come up with a plan of what needs to happen in order to get there. If even at that point, they're not seeing it, uh, I just don't work with them anymore. And I've... I've probably broken up with more clients, not just from the HR side, but from the advisory side as well, where, you know, I'm coaching executives of a startup um, in, you know, mediating through their problems or kind of overcoming where things are bottlenecking um, from an emotional or mindset standpoint or managing their employees, whatever that looks like. I usually, I'm sure you're the same way. I feel it in my gut when I know it's not going to work out. And typically, the issues that you have with them now are going to be perpetuating over time. So if you don't like it now, it's not going to get any better. And so I recently had to break up with a company They're a public company that I was working with. And, you know, we had this whole plan in our our initial call, a proposal. We were going to do all these things. Six months, eight months later, we didn't get to start on any of it because they were just, mm-hmm. we need this, we need that, we need to hire this person. We're hiring and then they're leaving. And I keep you know, trying to tell them there's a huge issue with turnover. We need to get, we need to find like the root cause of that turnover. Um, and they just weren't understanding it. And so I ended up disengaging with them and they weren't happy with it. Um, and I really tried, but I felt um, immensely better <laughs> afterward mm-hmm. um, because I don't like that feeling like you where um, if I don't, if I feel like I'm not getting anywhere, I don't feel very good. It's not about the money for mm-hmm. me. Um, uh, money is a byproduct of doing good work. Sure. Um, yes. but for me, it's the impact. And if I feel like I'm not really making an impact and then, then I don't feel we're valuable. And if we, if we're not valuable, I don't know what we're here for. And so I'm really focused on, you know, we're not here for you to tell us what to do. We're here to tell you what to do. <laughs> And we're going to help you do it but if you're not going to allow for that or prioritize that we can't help you there are there are tons you know i i'm such i'm a one person and i have my one team and we can only help so many clients at one time and so we don't really have a lot of space for companies that aren't going to listen to what we're telling them to do and then gripe about it or complain about it later you know that's just not how we operate those those values are not in our organization and that brings me to as you i've as i've shared with you um i'm developing a tech or recruiting and so i'm probably the opposite of what you you talk about with start i know nothing about technology and 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 products or any of that i'm more of like i just know what i wanted to do (laughs) and
1: yeah but that's actually the right way to go about it Yeah. Look, ultimately, no, think of it this way. If you're actually, like, even when you're selling these days, when you're looking at how business is, what people are concerned, people don't give a crap about your technology. Nobody does, right, including your customers. They give a crap about what you can do to help them do whatever it is they need to do. There's this whole prevailing theory, uh, not theory, a whole prevailing methodology approach and set of theories and framework called um, service dominant logic, and it leads to something called jobs to be done and the basic theory is you 're not out of buying a hammer you 're out buying something that you can make a hole y- that you can pound into a hole something that you can use to pound something into a hole that you need to do something because you need that hole right and so if something came along that wasn 't a hammer you 'd buy that it doesn 't really hammer itself is not, so it 's not the product it 's the outcome that you 're looking for and so for example, when so I tell people when they 're selling. When I you know train people or coach people on selling, which i don 't do that much because i don't like doing it uh, but um, I tell them look it's always outcomes based but it 's not just outcomes for the company it's outcomes for the individual you 're selling to and and there's a so it's very simple you know we're human beings we're on the search to find a reason to be here, and we want to be happy in that reason and ultimately works another part of that overall journey we're all on is in during life and and during that time the times that we're working, we have goals of our own that we're setting. Like there are people I know doing financially very well, but they don't see a career and they're very senior management people, meaning there's maybe five other places for them to go, uh, maybe less, but they don't see a way up to the next one, so they're gonna leave the company. Even though they've been and I, I I have a lot of people come to me like that mm-hmm. when they're saying, I'm looking around, can you help? And I do, I try to help. So anyway, um, it's the same thing. You know, you, People have to have a path, whatever it is they're doing, to something more for themselves. All right, so when you're selling something to someone, you're selling them not only, here's how it's going to benefit the company, but here's how it, it will help you reach your goal too. So, oh, here's an example. Uh, about seven or eight years ago, I was at a party. It was like this super VIP kind of, you know, business party, and it was it was weird. I mean, I don't like those parties ter- terribly, <laughs> but uh, but I was I was there, and and the person one of the people there was um, the CEO, uh, chairman actually, and CEO of an auto company, a big one. And a friend of mine knew knew him and told me he had devoured my book, he had read every minute part of it. So I went over to him because I wanted to ask him about it, and we started talking. He was turned out to be a pretty nice guy, nice, and he turned out to be like really tech savvy, like super tech savvy guy. So I asked him this question. I said, hypothetically, and I said, take out the fact that you being CEO and chairman, anything that benefits the company by itself will benefit you, but just divorce that for a minute. I said, so let's say you were making the technology choice for your company, and one of the technologies would benefit your company 100%, but you couldn't see any benefit to you. And the other technology would benefit your company 80%, but you could definitely see some benefit to you. Which would you choose? And he didn't even, like, pretend to think about it. He just said the second one. He said, because it's got a benefit to me. Why wouldn't I choose that? He said, look, 80% is a lot of benefit for a company, right? So we can do without 100. He said most companies, we never get that kind of number anyway. But he said, but 80% would be great, and if it benefited me, better. So that, but that's normal. We're self-interested. My, look, my current book's called The Commonwealth of Self-Interest. Right, And it's about that very fact that we all are people, we all have paths we want to take, we all want to be happy, we all want to find purpose, you know, and given all of that, that has to be accounted for in how businesses are run and the decisions we make and the, what we offer and what we provide, and that's kind of the deal, and it goes to what you're talking about exactly, which is you are thinking about it from the standpoint what you want from it, not what's gonna, what, what the technology is. You can develop the technology to the outcome, which is what you're doing. So that, you know, you're starting from the right place. Let's just say that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, speaking of like those examples that I had given where I've seen these startups bottleneck is that they were, they were married to this idea that they had to solve the problem by themselves. And what happens in that situation is they have tunnel vision that they're not seeing all of the options that are surrounding them that could further advance this, this problem that they're trying to solve. They're just so married to the fact that they have to do it themselves and all by yeah. themselves. And they, they end up not doing anything and not solving this problem at all because they're not willing to let go of this, like, ego attachment to solving this problem. They yep. want all the glory, not realizing that that type of mindset is actually holding them back from doing anything. I mean, what's zero, you know, what's 100% of zero? It's zero, right? So I don't know about you. I'd rather have, you know, 10, 10% of a billion dollars than, than, than 1% of nothing, you know, so... Mm -hmm. I think I think that if there's any advice that I I consistently give to startup, you know, tech entrepreneurs, it's really stay focused on the mission and and be open to whoever is willing to help you get there even if that means yes. partnering with um, even if that means partnering with somebody who could, could potentially be your competitor and you working together with them to solve this problem or you know bringing in uh, looking at different ways to solve the problem and instead of being so married to this one path um, I, I just feel like you don't know enough I mean there's there's so many examples out there I don't want to um, sound like a minion here, but, you know, like Uber and Airbnb, they didn't start off as they are today. You know, they, they, they right. started off being com- a completely different product. Um, and they had to iterate and take on new suggestions and work with different types of people. And that's ultimately, you know, how they became what they are, you know, um, you know, a, a, a money draining machine. <laughs> it's none <laughs> those companies are never profitable by the way (laughs) so um but you know i i i love that you have been able to do the type of work i think that there should be more paul greenbergs or i'm interested in who's gonna who who's going to get the baton from you um as you have one year left and so one year left paul what are you doing like the rest for this last year of of work for you
1: well again a lot of it is just what I've always done and but the difference will be I'll be back to traveling and I'll be saying look my friends are my friends forever again it has nothing to do with you know 3 years from now there's still going to be the same people I'm talking to that I'm talking to today I'll be talking to you 3 years from now mm-hmm. you know I I may not be talking about my engagement with uh you know client but I hope cuz I won't have one <laughs> but, <laughs> but I will be talking to you about other things so that that doesn't have any bearing on anything now the next year, same work, but I'll be just traveling a lot so I can see people in person. That really is my, you want to talk about my mission. My mission next year is to see as many of my friends in person as I possibly can because I won't see them as easily following that. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, by the way, and you should be prepared for one of these, uh, we're going to, my wife and I discussed holding four parties, right, at, at our house. Go to a top flight restaurant everybody I'm comes there. back to the house and hangs out and drinks and eats. So we've done these in the past, and they we've had people flying, I'm not joking, from three to four different continents just for the party. Of course. Right, they're pretty popular. And your your our, the buddies who we met through actually attended one of them, right? Uh, David and Ricky, mm-hmm. before we, there was the one of, wait, was it was the year before? I don't remember. It was one of them when I first met them. So, um, so we're going to do that, and we're going to do a lot of, I mean, in effect, I'll be doing a lot of, business, but I'll be allowed to socialize it. And that is really my point. I'd rather the socializing more important. That said, there is a long-term perspective that is going to be interesting, and I will talk about it here, but you'll be among, your audience will be pretty much the first audience to hear about this. Um, So Brent Leary and I, as you know, uh, do a show called Serum Players, and we've been doing it for 12 years, and we have a global audience. So one day I was sitting down, and I listing out all the different things we did the band competitions the happier hours all these other things we do and also the other shows we do and also four more shows we're going to launch and I realized we were doing I'm not joking 15 different things Mm -hmm. that are specifically identifiable as events or shows or uh, community activities Um, and so we talked it through and what we're going to do is consolidate it all into PPN players production network and we're going to literally create a network and it's already underway and we'll probably launch in january and um and that's what i'll do um in 2023 four and five too i'll stay on the network but i'm not going to engage into but it's podcast and it's happier hours and it's band competitions and one of the shows we did announce is a quiz show we have uh we have another we have of course the core show which is the players You know, we have all of those things. There's there's a lot. I mean, I won't go into all of it now, but we'll we'll be giving more details soon. So phase one will be just launching everything, including all the new shows in January, monetizing that to some degree through sponsorships. Phase two will be starting to incorporate other shows within the network and then helping them monetize. And also we're going to do, right, the concept will be more profit sharing than equity, but the idea will be profit sharing. So let's say... I'm just picking out a hat here, but your show, and we say we brought it in or something, you would get a profit. You would get profit sharing from the total package, not just specific to your mm-hmm. show. That would be the idea: is to get be more generous than the specific show, um, so that everybody does has some financial benefit, but at the same time, just has a good time. And this way, we also get to experiment because I'm huge right now. One of my biggest things ever is to try to figure out how to really crack into the networks like. TikTok and others uh, to make it work in a more more work for generations beyond the generations it works for. Let's just a say sophisticated. What I say there, more sophisticated. I, well, way. yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. So last week, TikTok held Global TikTok World, and it was basically I was I attended, and it was basically a conference where they were announcing all their marketing and branding tools, and it was a. St- at the level of depth and sophistication that, I mean, these things are mature tools that they're just announcing now mm-hmm. that, you know, they have a lot of beta customers for. That's basically TikTok for business. And, you know, the interesting question in this, because these tools are exceptionally good, as is the video tools to make TikTok videos. The question becomes, you know, as brands become increasingly dominant on TikTok, when does that start? Just basically cracking into and starting to destroy the organic nature of the actual platform, and or the, see they're going from being a medium to a platform, and that's a that's scary. Possibly, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's because the power of TikTok is it's is it as a medium, right? Not as a platform, mm-hmm. and um, but you can't blame them for doing what they're doing. They're riding their wave, and, and you know, and. At the same time, I don't know when that. That balance is going to shift to the negative, because it could. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about it that?
0: typically? does I mean, you know, we I'm seeing it. It's obviously already happened with like Facebook um, and Instagram, right? I mean, it, with Facebook, sponsoring your ads are almost pointless because you're just competing with these billion dollar companies, um, so you're not going to get a ton of engagement. Um, one thing I learned about the Instagram platform and now even the LinkedIn platform is that they, they push you to use this like creator mode. Have you seen that on LinkedIn?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work for a while. It's terrible. It doesn't
0: work. Yeah. I, I switched, you know, I have a pretty strong engagement on both Instagram and LinkedIn and I don't have a lot of followers, but I have a, a large engagement. And so, you know, yeah. for example, on Instagram, I may, I have like over a thousand followers, but my, um, posts are getting, you know, a hundred likes and comments and, you know, so I have about a 10% engagement rate, which that is really be. high. Um, same yeah. with LinkedIn. And so I know what it's supposed to be. When I, I, I tried Instagram first, I switched to creator mode zilch. My posts were getting nothing like three, four or five you know likes or something like that um linkedin same thing and so i i literally switched back within 24 hours and so i'm not sure what their motive is with creating um these creator modes that don't work (laughs) for for creators well
1: the the thing is linked linkedin linkedin i don't deal with instagram that much i'm going to be but not yet yet um with linkedin uh they're 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 not really a creator's platform they're a publisher's platform mm-hmm. and that's different right and i think they're mixing the two up a little bit and they're trying to make it a little more you know let's call it um generationally acceptable but the reality is it's also a business platform and it's meant to be one and they should they the, it's powerful when they do that they 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 the Level of activity, engagement, and involvement that you get from LinkedIn and the results you get from it too, or it can be tremendous, both for them and. But the the other side is, you know, they're owned by Microsoft too, and and Microsoft's never fully realized what they bought. Mm-hmm. Um, if they did, they would open the API back up, and they haven't, and so um, and they won't either. And they dump Sales Navigator too. That's the other thing they do. It's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which is terrible but that that's me as an analyst talking. So um so anyway, uh but LinkedIn LinkedIn's creator mode is like okay, well, it's it's a couple of screens basically or a couple of boxes on your landing page that basically say okay, now you're a, now you're young and TikTok savvy, right? Or now you're young and, you know, a YouTube creator. Mm-hmm. Um but it really is zilch. I mean, they are a publishing platform. They need to recognize themselves as such and they need to work with what they've got and then if they want to grow in other ways, figure it out, but not the way they're doing it. Right now they just sort of it's a it's a veneer that doesn't work. Yeah,
0: they're trying to be I mean, now they have stories, you know,
1: yeah, and
0: they're which, trying to be too much like a platform that we already have, you know, right. and and for me, I mean, it's it's become I mean, I'm more active on it now because of like the podcast and obviously the technology um, just wrapping up for that. But I don't particularly like it. I mean, I, I get way too many friend request or connection requests. Um, I get way too many, you know, sales messages that I'm missing yeah. important ones. And that's really what's happened to Facebook is, you know, Facebook, I have over a thousand friend requests that, I've tried to get through them and every, I get through like 50 of them and 100 more come. So I just gave up on trying to deal with it. And it's just, it's, I'm actually more disconnected from these platforms when that happens. And so TikTok, I'd, I'm in, I'd be interested. I'm going to be honest with you. I am not on TikTok. I, I, um, there's no particular reason except, I don't know, maybe laziness or just time. Um, I haven't had a lot of time to explore it and understand it. And, um, you know, I, I really saw a lot of children using TikTok and I, I purposely made sure my daughter wasn't using it just to to protect her. Um, and so I, I would feel like a hypocrite. Um, if if I'm on it and I'm telling her it's dangerous, you know, for, for her and.
1: Well, I mean, it can it can be, yeah. but uh, you know the other, I mean, and when you first get on it, it seems to be pointless, you know, because basically it's young yeah, teens, basically like, older teens know, doing fancy. the shuffle. Well, they're doing the shuffle, right? Right, exactly, I can't even do that. That's how <laughs> terrible I am at dancing, right? I can't even, I have no <laughs> Um But it's, I mean, I, I, they even are giving you instructions on the shuffle, I can't figure <laughs> out what the hell they're doing. Right, so, uh, you know, so, uh, but the, but then the, I'll tell you what I would highly recommend to everyone listening and you too, for that matter. There's this guy, his name is Eugene Wei, W-E-I. He's a former AWS engineer, one of the earliest ones, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a website called eugenewei.com, and he has these three blog posts in particular, the last one called American Idol IDLE. And um, and the three blog posts are around, uh, and you've got to read them in order, are about TikTok. Okay. And the algorithm and how it works. They are brilliant posts. He's a great writer. We're having him actually on the plays on uh, Thursday, October 7th. So what's that? Two days from now. Um, uh, we're having him on plays this week. And hes uh, I, I had a two-hour discussion with him the other day just for the first time. Turns out to be a friend of a friend. And so it's, it, he's brilliant. And these, these sold me on the impact that TikTok's gonna have on things. And even for that purpose alone, it's worth investigating. It really is. Totally. Because I think, I think it will be as important as currently as YouTube was when it was founded.
0: That's good to know. I, I mean, I'll definitely look into it 100%. I have one last question for you, Paul. Yes, ma'am. Have you hugged anyone that was worth getting COVID for lately?
1: Lately? <laughs> I haven't seen anyone. <laughs> I mean, I'm hugging my wife. That's always worth getting COVID for. So you know? the answer is no. I mean, I, I, When I hugged you back in the day, that was worth getting COVID for. <laughs> but that was like 19 months ago or something. Yeah, that was, it was um, kind of,
0: yeah, February, right? So it was, it was out there. Yeah. It was definitely out there yeah, for us to get.
1: That was worth it. Well, the other thing, see, I actually assess the hugs by what the hug back is.
0: Mm-hmm. right it's not so
1: much who i'm hugging it's how they hug it's like back. a handshake
0: right, right? when like, they're like dainty mm-hmm. oh
1: i no, can't no, no it's got to be a bear hug yes and it's not like just look a lot of people i'm close to the guys for example they'll bro hug which is terrible that's like or they'll shoulder, you know they'll shoulder lean and yeah i mean you know it's just yeah it has um, to be
0: heart to heart right that's like the right. point it's of
2: a hug exactly
1: yeah I, Thank you. See, that's why I know we are completely in sync. Totally. You totally get it. Totally get it. And you know what? Anybody I hug is at a certain level worth getting COVID for at a certain level. (laughs) But exceptional hugs, nobody recently who's new, right? But my wife always. Yes. And again, I I would say you were definitely one of the last in-person hugs that was absolutely worth worth, worth the possibility.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, that's how we should judge people from now on, right? Are you worth getting COVID for?
1: (laughs) That's right. Bring it in and we'll see. Yeah, Paul,
0: thank you so much for being here. I'm going to make sure we get everything linked on the show notes for everybody who's listening.
1: And I'll, of course, get it out everywhere I can too. Always.
0: Awesome. Thank you everybody for listening and we will see you on the next episode.